It was the fall of 2009. I was in college and had been a part of a a group of friends, uh, eight to ten of us, that were planning kind of a group outing to go to an area outside of Kansas City to see a comedy show. The weekend before, four or five days before that show, maybe five or six, in that ballpark, I woke up as sick as I have still ever been in my entire life. 2009 was the year of the swine flu. Do you remember the swine flu? Oh, did anyone here get the swine flu? I did. I'm not still contagious, it's okay. And I I was sick to the point that I literally had to get help to get out of bed. Uh, My school made me, I was a student housing, made me leave and go back home because it was, I couldn't even quarantine on school property because the swine flu was huge and in the news and stuff, right? So I had to go back home. And through it all, I was praying that I could get well enough to get get the fever to go away, to get back, because I really wanted to go see that comedy show with a group of friends. Because the thing is, one of those friends... Well, she was a pretty cute girl. And we hadn't had any dates or anything yet, but I really wanted to sit next to her at the comedy show. So I ended up, fever went away, and I had enough time. I wasn't 100% like energy level, but I was no longer contagious. Got back like to campus literally hours before we all left to drive down to the show. And I remember that thing, we were trying to figure out where to sit, because it's like, you know, it's at a show seating. And well, I wanted to sit next to Sarah. Yeah. And she was thinking, don't you have the swine flu? (laughs) I assured her I was not contagious. We did sit next to each other. And here we are. Hey, we did it. (laughs) Um, But I want to share that with you because when there is an illness... When there's a fear of being contagious, there's a lot of other layers and social layers that go and involve involve what we can do, what we can't do, where we go, where we can't go. And I also want an opportunity to share a story about a contagious illness that wasn't COVID. Isn't that kind of a breath of fresh air? Maybe pun intended, I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, so we got to do something a little bit different with that this morning, because COVID just would have been too easy. And our scripture lesson this morning, at least the middle section of it, deals with an issue of disease or illness which is perceived as being contagious. We have throughout Leviticus, Old Testament, early in scripture, a set of rules that are designed with the intent of keeping the community at large safe and healthy. It contains rules on what to eat and warns against types of foods that they may not know how to prepare properly or cannot keep safe long enough so that we could then eat it and not get sick. It has rules about how to stop the spread of different diseases or conditions. And again, this is all based on the idea of them being contagious, about there being an impurity or a state of unclean that is often transferred by touch between people. To give you an idea, here's a reading from Leviticus, chapter 15, 19 to 23, just just a few verses. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. Anyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. Anything she lies on will be unclean. Anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. 
They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, they will be unclean until evening. It goes on for ten more verses. I actually spared you most of it. But it talks about all the ways that during this time the woman is unclean. Anyone who touches her or anything she touches, they're now unclean too and have to wash and wait till evening. A couple things about why I read this passage from Leviticus. First, I don't share this as a lesson that we need something we need to go back to, so I'm not advocating for that, so it's okay. A couple smiles, not a lot. Is it because it's raining? Is that why we're down? It's, it's okay. All right. So it's not that we need to go back to anything like this, but we need to understand that this is the world that our scripture was based in, right? This is the world that the woman for 12 years was living in every single day of her life. The second thing is that unclean is not the same as sin or sinful. So if we have those tied together as synonyms, we have to break those apart a little bit. Sin in Scripture can make someone unclean, but they can also just be unclean and need to wait or wash, or as we find in the Scripture, wash and then wait, and then you're clean again. The story of this woman who is bleeding, who is not supposed to touch anyone or anything that anyone else will touch, comes to us in the middle of another story. And Mark sandwiches these two stories together very intentionally as they inform and build off one another. The passage starts with Jesus crossing back again in the boat. This is right after last week where they took the boat. Remember they met the guy in the graveyard. There were the pigs. It was a whole thing. If you missed it, it's on YouTube and Facebook. But then they took the boat back. So last Sunday they were in a Gentile, a non-Jewish area, you know, because they were raising pigs in Leviticus. The Jewish communities, they don't raise, they don't eat eat pigs. So Jesus has crossed back, back into a Jewish area, meaning the purity laws and rules and customs and societal expectations all apply. What we read in Leviticus applies. So he crosses back. And Jairus, an important local leader in the synagogue, said that his daughter was about to die and pleaded with Jesus to come back to his house to heal her. Jesus said okay and went with him. While they're traveling to the house, we hear the story that there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. She went to many physicians, spent all that she had. Not only was she not better, she actually had become worse. So she heard about Jesus, came up behind him in a crowd because Jesus is super popular at this point, people crowding around, and she thinks, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll be made well touch. The one thing she's been told for 12 years not to do is to touch. And she says, I'm going to touch Jesus. She touches his cloak. Her flow of blood stops. She felt in her body that she was healed. And Jesus, and this is super interesting and unique in the Gospels, Jesus was aware that power had gone forth from him. Jesus didn't take action here. Jesus was walking along, and power went forth from him. And Jesus turned around and said, who touched my cloak? 
And his disciples look at him like they're crazy. They're like, there's tons of people here. Picture like a, like a mosh pit or something. Like, it's a huge crowded area. Everyone's trying to get and follow Jesus. And they go, what do you mean who touched you? There's like 15 people here probably all touching you right now. What are you talking about? But Jesus put them down, out of his mind and look, kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened, came forward in fear. We've been talking about fear the last few weeks. Came forward in fear and trembling, fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your disease. During this brief encounter in the street, the daughter of Jairus died. People from the house came to tell Jairus that his daughter had died and that they didn't need Jesus anymore. Jesus heard them and said, do not be afraid, fear, only believe, faith. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. When they came to the synagogue leader Jairus' house, he saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. They were mourning. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk about. She was 12 years old and they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. In both of these stories that are put together, we see fear and we see faith. We see faith in the woman daring to reach out and touch Jesus' cloak, even though that would be strictly forbidden. We see faith with Jairus coming to approach Jesus in the first place. What Jairus and the woman have in common is they were both at their last resort. The woman who was bleeding tried everything. She saw all the doctors she could. She spent all the money she had, didn't get anywhere good. Jairus knew that his daughter had a very short time left. They turned to Jesus when they had nowhere else to turn. When I was a child, I was what I call an SOS prayer, an SOS prayer, meaning I wouldn't pray regularly, but if something bad was happening or I feared was about to happen, or if there were prayers for, or healing for someone, something big, then I would pray like constantly. Like if I was the only person up all night on like the night watch tending to the signal fire, like I took it as a serious duty. And then once that period had passed, I wouldn't really pray much again until the next big thing happened. There's one thing that happened when I was in middle school. My first pet was a pet guinea pig. Her name was Sugar. She was three or four years old. Uh, stopped eating, took her to the vet, found out she had cancer, many tumors. And uh, my parents' insistence, uh, Sugar the guinea pig was operated on and treated for cancer, and the tumors removed. On the day that she was going in for surgery, I still had to go to school. But I convinced myself that if I prayed every 15 minutes on the dot the whole day, that sugar would be healed. I don't think I learned a lot in school that day, but every, every classroom had a clock, 
and I would watch that clock, and I would say a prayer every 15 minutes. She made it through the surgery, but the cancer was still there. She wasn't healed and didn't live very much longer. You know, I have many stories of praying for healing, whether it's for myself or my family or visiting with people or in hospitals. Stories of praying for healing that did not come in the way it was expected or the way that it was wanted. Or perhaps never even came at all. That's part of the life, especially as a, hop, as a hospital chaplain that I've served at work before, where I would be called there to meet with families, sometimes responding to a phone call or a page, yet we had, in a hospital, you still got pagers, or a page, and I would meet them in the emergency room or get a call at 3 a.m. to go to the hospital. And I was there, and we would pray for the impossible. I many times witnessed and uttered prayers for bodily, physical healing, which did not come true. I also have some stories where the unexplainable happened. Where were there things that we can only describe as a miracle, or in the hospital language, unexplainable, or sometimes these things happen. And I have learned in my own life to always go back to the Lord's Prayer, and to one specific phrase that I use for my personal prayers, God, your will be done, or thy will be done. I think back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his arrest. My Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not what I want, but what you want. If Jesus can say, God, not my will, but yours. Then that's a lesson for me to take with, it, with myself as well. God, not my will, but your will be done. As we're continuing throughout our Kingdom of God series here to prepare us for Lent, the message we see in both of these stories is that the way to the kingdom to receive power from God is that even as people approach with fear, that they don't conquer that fear, or they don't recognize that fear, they don't fully approach and receive by knowledge. Because we have the story very explicitly with the woman that she spent 12 years seeking all the knowledge she could, and it didn't get her there. We can safely assume that Jairus, especially being as connected and well-off as he was, tried everything he could and it didn't get him and his daughter there. Knowledge doesn't get us to the kingdom of God, at least not by itself. And that can be hard for Presbyterians to hear. I'm Presbyterian, me too. Schools and hospitals, right? Knowledge and education isn't bad. I'm not saying education is bad, but knowledge on its own is not faith. Knowledge and faith are different, and faith often comes into play when we lack knowledge. And how we approach those situations can matter a lot. It's by faith that she was healed. It's by faith that the daughter got back up.
See, throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, Jesus never tells anyone that they know enough so they're good. There's nothing else to do. We do have a few cases where he says, you know everything you need to know. Now go live by faith. Come and follow me. And that can often be a stumbling block. Is the impossible possible with faith in Christ? Yes. Absolutely. I have witnessed it far too many times to believe anything different. But does faith guarantee that our will or my will is done? No, it doesn't. But we do see throughout Scripture and in this passage what God desires for us. We see that God desires healing, desires wholeness, desires seeing the woman reintegrated back into the community. We see that God desires for the father and daughter to be a family. We see what God desires in relationship, in community, in love, and in grace. And everywhere Christ goes, he seeks to do those things. Yet we're starkly reminded that this world is not yet the kingdom of God. That we still reside in a world with hurt and pain and loss and death. But that's where our faith comes in. Where our faith shows us not just what is possible, but faith that the kingdom of God will come. Where there is no pain, no sorrow, no sighing, but life everlasting. Amen? Amen.